Happy Friday. Welcome to Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson. And yes, I too am thinking about Too Fast, Too Furious when I hear that song. Or uh, I think it's like Madden 2004, the one with Michael Vick on the cover. That's like one of the key songs in that game. But yeah, it's a good song. Anytime I hear Joe Budden's pump it up, man, I get just get in a better mood. But anyways, we're going to have a fun time in hour number two here on Spears and Ali. Uh, we're going to talk to John Wilner from the Pac-12 Hotline about the future of the Conference of Champions. Are they going to add SMU from Dallas? Doesn't really scream Pac-12 to me. San Diego State is, I think, a good option. You still keep that Southern California market. But when you lose teams like USC and UCLA to the Big Ten and you replace them with San Diego State and SMU, are you really moving the needle? Are you really, really helping out the conference? One of those, I think, yes, with San Diego State. SMU in Dallas, I get it's a big city. There's direct flights there, but I just to me, it's really hard to say SMU, Pac-12 conference member. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about that with John Wilner at 425. And then at 440, we're also going to talk Arizona basketball. Uh, and Azulus Tubelos having a quiet 23-14 and 14 night, but still finding a way to get another double-double, his 11th of the season, 8th in the last 11 games. And now he's starting to get the national recognition. They were having a whole feature on him on ESPN yesterday leading up to the game. So uh, it, it seems like Tommy Lloyd saying he deserves this respect Seems like uh, the people on Twitter getting after national pundits saying, hey, you deserve to give Azulus Tubelis respect. Looks like it's starting to pay off for Azulus Tubelis. Uh, but we'll talk Arizona basketball later on this hour. And if you want to join the show, 719-1490 is that phone number, 719-1490. And you know what? It's actually important to know that phone number, and you should probably put it in right now, 719-1490. Because we're going to do caller number one for the 13th annual Desert Showcase presented by FC Tucson. A bunch of MLS teams are here in town. There's a doubleheader tomorrow between Chicago Fire FC and the Colorado Switchbacks at 3 p.m., followed by Real Salt Lake and Sacramento FC. Uh, 3, 3 p.m., 6 p.m. match. And if you can't make it to the matches tomorrow, next Saturday – you got Real Salt Lake versus Chicago Fire FC. Nice little 11 a.m. matinee match at Kino North Stadium. So if you want to go see soccer, MLS soccer, that is, in Tucson, Arizona, call in number one at 719-1490, 719-1490. Or if you know somebody who's a soccer fan and could love this because, hey, you're probably paying attention to football this weekend, not football. But if you know a diehard soccer fan that could really use these tickets, Call in at 719-1490-719-1490. All right, let's uh, talk some Super Bowl 57. I'm I'm so pumped for this game. You got the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, we talked about this all week, how both teams are very parallel. Both of them have pretty much the same exact resume. They are both the number one seed in their respective conferences. They have both scored the exact amount of points going into this game. They all, Both of them have six All-Pros. One of them's a Kelsey, and one of them is their quarterback. Um, so this team, both these teams, 
are really good. They both match up very well against each other. And of course, you know, there are a lot of, you know, storylines going into this this game. Of course, this is this is the third title in four years for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, or at least the, the third Super Bowl appearance in the last four years for them. Andy Reid is coaching against his former team. Uh, Andy Reid was a longtime coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, of course, was the the guy who was orchestrating the offense that had Donovan McNabb and, of course, Terrell Owens when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the New England Patriots. They had a very awesome defense. Of course, Brian Dawkins at safety, one of the hardest hit hard, hardest hitting safeties in the league. And you know the the Eagles. You know they had a really good thing going uh, with with Andy Reid, making it to several playoffs. Uh, multiple NFC East division titles, make it to the Super Bowl, obviously. But then, after several years, Andy Reid hit hit a wall. And, you know, of course, the, the rabid fan base that is Philadelphia, and this isn't just with the Eagles, this is across all sports. This is with the Sixers. This is with the Flyers. This is with the Phillies. Philadelphia, they love their sports. And when you're not really showing any success when you know you can be Philadelphia they're going to run you out and I feel like in 2012 they really ran out Andy Reid but then he goes to the Kansas City Chiefs and is there a couple of seasons is uh, coaching a quarterback by the name of Alex Smith and then eventually they draft a guy by the name of Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes was this quarterback who was in a draft class that had other quarterbacks drafted ahead of him. But people were excited about what he could do. But they were a little skeptical, and I know I was, because I saw that they were putting up insane amount of points, but they were also losing games. But then I realized, like, that's not necessarily on Patrick Mahomes. That's that's Cliff Kingsbury. That's Texas Tech not putting a solid defense to help out Patrick Mahomes. I think there there was one game where Patrick Mahomes straight up put like eight touchdowns on the board by himself. Eight touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes. And yet they still lost the game because why Cliff Kingsbury was his head coach. But not a lot of people were so high on Patrick Mahomes. I mean, we talk about Patrick Mahomes being the best quarterback in football right now, but the Chicago Bears traded up to number two overall and drafted Mitchell Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. And I'm sure they regret that to this day. I think Justin Fields is a solid quarterback, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. Nobody is Patrick Mahomes. He is the best quarterback in football right now. And eventually, Patrick Mahomes took over for Alex Smith, and then the rest was history. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid became this great coach-quarterback tandem, and now they've got a little dynasty on their hands. And when you add in Travis Kelsey, who when it's all said and done, could be the greatest tight end of all time. They have a really good foundation. And even when they lost Tyreek Hill this past season, the cheetah, to the Miami Dolphins, they were able to put together a committee of guys who can step in and really you know, take care of the load. Now, granted, a lot of these guys got banged up, but they still found a way to have one of the top offenses in the NFL, even without a primary pass catcher, in a Tyree kill. Um, so I think that the the Kansas City Chiefs have done a great job of getting past Tyree kill and getting past that gap, and now they find themselves once again in the Super Bowl. And so 
there's a lot of great storylines here. Kansas City versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Andy Reid going up against his former team. Patrick Mahomes, can he continue this legacy that he has right now? I mean, he only has one Super Bowl, but he won it at the young age of 24 years old. If he can get his second Super Bowl by the time he's 27 years old, uh, look out because we could be looking at the next greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady retired this past season, and we all know that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. But Patrick Mahomes, his trajectory right now, he's got greatest of all time. Yeah, at least he's he's on pace to become the greatest of all time. But let's not we'll cross that bridge when we get there. He still has many of Super Bowls to win, many Super Bowls to be a part of, but the magic of Mahomes and what he's able to do on the field, it's it's very magical to watch. And I'm really concerned though with his ankle against the Philadelphia Eagles pass rush. And this is the the key for me in Super Bowl 57. The key for the Kansas City Chiefs with protecting Patrick Mahomes, their offensive line has to step up. Wiley and all the other guys that they have up front, they haven't really done their best job in the postseason. But Patrick Mahomes, he's great at improvising. He can get out of the pocket. He can underhand throws. He, he does whatever needs to be done to make a play. Just when you think, oh, there's going to be a sack for five yards, Patrick Mahomes finds a way to gain five or six yards. And not every quarterback can do that, but that's the magic that comes with Patrick Mahomes. But unfortunately, in this game, on Sunday, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense, they're really going to have their work cut out for them. Because the Philadelphia Eagles, with Hassan Reddick, with all the other pass rushers that they have on their team, linebackers, defensive line, they can really get to the quarterback. And when you, th- when you look at their stats that they've put up this season, I mean, we're talking about historic sack numbers by the Philadelphia Eagles defense. I think last time I checked, they had the third most sacks by any team in NFL history, both regular season and postseason combined. So they're putting up historic numbers right now, and they showed in the NFC Championship game that they were the superior line. The San Francisco 49ers have a great pass rush. They have a great offensive line. But go back and you watch that NFC Championship game. Look at how much, look at how much that Jalen Hurts had to sit back in the pocket and make a play with his arm or with his leg. He could sit back there and have a picnic. And guess what? I mean, the NFL awards were yesterday. Patrick Holmes, by the way, got MVP. Uh, Joey Bosa, or not Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa from the 49ers, he was named defensive MVP as well. So you have a defensive MVP trying to get to the offensive MVP, and he and while Nick Bosa is a boss, the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line did a pretty good job against Nick Bosa. And then you look on the other side, the Eagles just absolutely manhandled poor Brock Purdy to the point where he got hurt. And now he's getting Tommy John surgery. I've never heard of a quarterback getting Tommy John surgery, but you know they got to Brock Purdy, and they and they rattled him. They got him out of the game because they were getting to him and they hurt him. And the uh, the offense and the defensive line play from the Philadelphia Eagles is a big reason why they were the number one seed, and it's a big reason why they're in the Super Bowl. 
and they get it done on both sides of the ball. The Kansas City Chiefs, with Frank Clark, with Chris Jones, and those guys they have up front of their defensive line, I think that they're going to be pretty solid against the, the Eagles. But I think about the other side. I think about how will the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line, which has looked suspect at times in the postseason, how will those guys be able to hold off the pass rush by the Philadelphia Eagles? And if they can protect Patrick Mahomes, then I think that the Kansas City Chiefs will find a way to win this game. But if they don't, it's going to be a long night for the Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes. Because remember, the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes was running for dear life. When they played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tampa Bay's defense blended with savvy veterans, also stud young players, that potpourri of talent that they had on the defensive side of the ball, they rattled Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes was doing everything that he could to make plays. I mean, the man was pretty much parallel to the ground, and he found a way to just rocket a ball into the back of the end zone, but the receivers weren't making the catches, and also his offensive line wasn't protecting him. So when you couple those two two things together, Patrick Mahomes is... I mean, it wasn't a winning recipe for Patrick Mahomes is pretty much what I'm trying to say. And if they, it's if it's the same thing this time around, then you got the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Pass rush, offensive line, these are very important things. People want to talk about quarterback play. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl because he had a solid defense and a pretty decent offensive line. If Trent Dilfer can win a Super Bowl, then any quarterback can win a Super Bowl as long as they have the infrastructure. And when I look at the infrastructure of both these two teams, the protection for the quarterbacks, also getting to the quarterback, it heavily favors the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's been the case in the Super Bowl for the last several years now. Think about last year's Super Bowl with the L.A. Rams. Poor Joe Burrow, because that's what we call him around here. Now He's not Joe Burrow. Poor Joe Burrow. How, how much did he get killed in that Super Bowl by Aaron Donald? And all the other guys that they had up front. What about, like like I said, Patrick Mahomes in the last Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting absolutely killed by their defensive line? You think about most recent Super Bowls, when the guys get to the quarterback, more often than not, they win. The first ever Super Bowl that was at what was then called the University of Phoenix Stadium, you had an undefeated New England Patriots team going up against the New York Giants. And yes, David Tyree and Plexico Burris, they made plays down the stretch on offense, but that's not what won the game for the New York Giants. It was OCU Minora. It was Justin Tuck. It was Michael Strahan. It was former Arizona Wildcat linebacker Antonio Pierce getting to Tom Brady. And that's what really matters most in these type of games. And, you know, I got to give a big credit, though, to the Philadelphia Eagles because we we rave about the Kansas City Chiefs and you know third Super Bowl the last 4 years that's great we applaud them but the Eagles 5 years ago they were just in the Super Bowl with Doug Peterson and Nick Foles and then shortly afterwards they find themselves 4 and 11 and 1 that was just 2 years ago they had Nate Sudfeld playing quarterback for them with playoff with a playoff spot on the line, they had Nate Sudfeld playing quarterback for them. 
and then they get rid of Carson Wentz. They draft this guy by the name of Jalen Hurts, and then they hire this young coach named Nick Sirianni, who, by the way, was fired by the Kansas City Chiefs at 31 years old. Now he finds himself coaching against the team that fired him when he was a wide receivers coach, now in the Super Bowl. So, again, the storylines are everywhere. But Nick Sirianni taking the Eagles from 4-11-1 to now in the Super Bowl, it's truly remarkable. I'm excited for Super Bowl 57. It's crazy up there in Glendale right now. Great matchup. And uh, last time I heard, over a million people are added to the Valley just for this, for all the events. Waste management, Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. Also, I heard there's a pretty cool concert at halftime. I think uh, Rihanna is uh, performing. Very excited about that. All right, coming up next, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk about Brett Favre and the complete joke that he is, but uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it later on this hour. Coming up next, though, what's going on with the Pac-12? Are they are they really going to add San Diego State and SMU? Let's talk to Pac-12 insider John Wilner from the Pac-12 hotline coming up next. All right, what's going on with the Pac-12? SMU and San Diego State? George Klyavkov, he's touring the country right now, and a lot of people are reporting that SMU and San Diego State are going to be potentially the newest members of the Pac-12. A guy who's at the forefront of all of this is John Wilner from the Pac-12 hotline. John, thank you for calling in. And uh, I saw George Klyavkov last night at the Arizona-Stanford game, but the night before that, he was at the SMU basketball game sitting alongside SMU's athletic director. Uh, what do you make of just the, the latest news of the Pac-12 possibly adding SMU and San Diego State? Well, those have been the two obvious candidates all along, I think, uh, for different reasons. But the bottom line is the Pac-12 probably was going to need to add two teams just to have more games, right? That's what you're selling to the TV networks is games. And if you've got 12 teams, you can play, you know, anywhere from 12 to 15 more uh, football games per year, and that's valuable for the for the networks. So, you know, SMU kind of expands the conference footprint, gets you some Dallas exposure, San Diego State keeps you, you know, a presence in Southern California, keeps the Big 12 from going after them. So I think both of them, you know. It's not an ideal lineup of options for the Pac-12, but of the available options, these are probably the two best, and I, I would imagine it's going to happen. If, assuming the, the schools do agree to sign a new TV contract, I would imagine expansion with San Diego State and SMU is going to happen. So from the like a, a casual Pac-12 fan's perspective, one could say, well, I mean, shoot, we're losing the both of the L.A. schools, which has USC football and UCLA basketball, and we're going to replace it with San Diego State. Sure, that's the, the Southern California market, but why is Dallas so attractive for the Pac-12? Well, uh, you know, a couple reasons, I think. My guess is that there is a little bit of value in expanding your media exposure into Dallas. It's, you know, it's a huge TV market. Uh, how much of value there is, I don't know. Uh, there's certainly – a little bit of recruiting value in having a campus in Dallas, given all the players in that area. Again, how much, I don't know. Uh, SMU certainly clears the bar for the Pac-12 presidents academically. You know, it, it has all the, all the stuff they're looking for in terms of endowment and research activity and selectivity with undergraduate enrollment. Um, but, you know, again, you have to play the cards you're dealt 
And when the Pac-12 decided not to expand in the summer of 2021, and then BYU, Houston, uh, Cincinnati, and UCF went to the Big 12, there were going to be fewer options if the Pac-12 ever wanted to uh, expand. And that's where it is right now. John Wilner from the Pac-12 Hotline joining Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson. Uh, so 75% of the schools have to agree of the uh, the addition of SMU in San Diego State. Is it possible that you know schools could disagree or, excuse me, agree on the addition of SMU in San Diego State and then maybe bolt for, let's say, the Big 12? I mean, I think anything's possible until there's a media contract signed. And, uh, you know, I thought that that was going to have been done by now. Uh, Pac-12 has taken its sweet old time and now is, I think, in a little bit of an anxious, anxious spot. Uh, my guess is that if the presidents agree to add these schools, they're pretty much committing themselves to signing the media rights deal because the media rights deal is going to be partly contingent upon adding these schools. So it, it, to me, it all kind of fits together, but you have to see, like, you know, real room and nothing is done until the contracts are signed. And in your latest uh, hotline mailbag, uh, which you could find on Tucson.com, you discussed the 14 school option. So for anyone who's interested in that, I mean, 14 schools in a conference, who else could be added to the Pac-12? Well, yeah, I mean, that was just because somebody asked about it, right? And it's certainly a, a hypothetical. I do not expect that to happen. But in a world where the Pac-12 decided, you know what, we've got to go to 14 because we need even more games, then, you know, the I was asked about Tulane and Rice. And, right, those two schools would would also are very good schools academically. Uh, Rice is in Houston. Tulane is in New Orleans. So you're getting new TV markets. You're kind of expanding your exposure in the, in that part of the country, and you've got two more schools in the Central Time Zone for, for you know TV kickoff purposes. I don't think that's going to happen. I'd be extremely surprised if they did that. I think they're going to end up with 12 schools uh, with SMU and San Diego State. But you know, it, it's always fun to kind of play a hypothetical. Absolutely. All right, John. Moving on to uh, the basketball side of things. Uh, UCLA still number one in the conference. Arizona just right below them, but the Wildcats are playing some good basketball. They've won seven straight games. They uh, won last night against the Cal Golden Bears. But, hey, who hasn't beaten Cal this year, right? Uh, but what do you just make of Arizona right now and how they have things going? You know, I have a hard time uh, assessing both Arizona and UCLA, to be honest, because they're playing in a bad league. I mean – Maybe USC is in the NCAA tournament if the field were picked today. They're certainly kind of on the bubble, and Oregon is kind of on the bubble. But it's not like Arizona and UCLA are facing high-caliber competition on a weekly basis like the equivalent schools are in the SEC or the Big Ten or the, or the Big 12, right? They're going weeks sometimes without playing teams that have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. So they look good but they look good against second-tier competition. It makes it kind of hard to project how they would do in the second round or how they would do in the Sweet 16. But certainly, given the competition, the Arizona you know, looks pretty good. Uh, you know, we'll see. I, I still think that 
you know, there might be some questions about guard play. Uh, but you can't ask for much more given who they're playing. And, of course, the, the story of Arizona, really ever since the, the turn of the calendar year, has been Azulus Tabellus. He picked up his 11th double-double last night. He's got eight in the last 11 games. Double-doubles just seem to come natural for him. And, you know, he quietly does it at, at sometimes too. I know he put up 40 points against Oregon last week, but, man, he's just been so impressive um, ever since 2023. What do you make of just the rise of Azulus Tabellus? And I'm assuming he's your clear-cut favorite to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, what do they got? There's three weeks left, I think, in the regular season. So he is a runaway leader, in my opinion. I mean, he could probably go scoreless for like four, three or four games and still win that award. Uh, he's he's been playing terrific. You know, his skills fit the system, right? And they, they the, the way Arizona plays takes advantage of his you know, versatility on the offensive end and his ability to kind of create shots in the low post for himself and the way he, he moves off the ball, I think it's it's just a very good match. Now, we'll see. You know, you get in the NCAAs, you get in the second round, the Sweet 16, you're going to get better teams, and they're going to have guys to, that can guard him, uh, and there's going to be guys that he's going to have to guard, and I think that that was something, a lesson of the Houston game, right, is, you know, who's he going to guard in the NCAAs when they're playing really high-quality competition? So, well, there's a lot to play out, but certainly, you know, right now he's he's terrific, and he's I, I, I have to think he would be the unanimous Pac-12 player of the year if they, if they picked it right now. And if the AP Top 25 has anything to say about it, the Arizona Wildcats are currently a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Do you think that Arizona really has a case? I mean, regardless of ranking, do you think that maybe if they're number five or number six, that they have a strong case to be a number one seed? Uh, yeah, no. Well, we'll see. I mean, it depends. The Pac-12, because there's so many teams that aren't very good, you know, if you lose to the wrong team, it can really hurt. There's a lot of there's a lot of potholes in the Pac-12, right? I mean, if Arizona loses to Stanford, uh, that's that's a bad loss for a team that's trying to be a number one seed. So there's not a whole lot of margin for error. And the same goes for UCLA. Uh, it's just kind of your fate when you're playing in a conference with a lot of uh, very soft middle, so to speak. We'll see. I think it partly depends also on you know, how's Tennessee going to finish uh, in the SEC. How's Creighton going to finish? San Diego State. You know uh, the teams that Indiana, the teams that Arizona played non-conference, play a big role in how you're assessed for a number one seed against teams from other leagues. All right, John, real quick before you let before I can't talk right now. Before we let you go, we got Super Bowl 57 on Sunday. You got the Chiefs and the Eagles. Who do you got and why? <laughs> you know, I honestly haven't given given it a thought. Uh I is I I don't even know how healthy Mahomes' ankle is to be honest with you, but I would I typically would pick the team that's got the better quarterback. So uh, in a game like that, especially when the better quarterback is also the more experienced quarterback on a stage like that, uh, I would probably lean towards the Chiefs. But certainly the Eagles are, are very good, and the Eagles have got a great defensive line, and that's how you know that's how they beat the Patriots a few years ago was just terrific pressure on the quarterback. 
John Wilner from the Pac-12 Hotline for all the latest in the Conference of Champions. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, and you can find the Pac-12 Hotline syndicated on Tucson.com and the Wildcaster app. John, always appreciate your insight. Thank you once again, and have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. All right, from the Casino Del Sol studios, you're listening to Spears and Ali, presented by Casino Del Sol, the soul of Tucson, Tucson Federal Credit Union, and the amazing Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. If you want to call into the show, 719-1490, 719-1490, that is the phone number. Coming up next, we're going to be talking some Arizona Wildcats basketball, both men's and women's. Arizona men's basketball clobbering the Cal Golden Bears. As for the Arizona women's basketball team, Stanford clobbered them. We're going to talk about both games coming up next. Stay tuned. All right, sorry. Sorry, uh, Bad by Michael Jackson was playing a little too long before I got on the air. I was uh, reaching down because uh, one of our magazines fell off the, the stand here, and it's a magazine given to us by one of our listeners, Mark. Mark, uh, Mark always calls into the show. And anytime you hear him, he usually has something random on his mind, but then is always complimentary of our show. And we appreciate Mark so much because I feel like um, he spends a lot more time with us than his wife sometimes in the afternoons. <laughs> he's, he's out by the pool, barbecuing, making some food, and he's always listening to us, man. And, you know, Mark is a, is a dedicated Spears and Ali listener, and we appreciate him so much. And we especially appreciate him because he uh, came by and dropped off a magazine to our studio. And the magazine is the Sports Illustrated from after Arizona's 1997 National Championship. It's the special commemorative ed edition that released on April 7th, 1997. And it has Miles Simon on the cover with the caption, Cool Cat. Miles Simon leads Arizona to the NCAA title. So... Mark, appreciate you, man. Amazing gift. We're going, we're going to display it proudly in the ESPN Tucson studio. And, uh, we, yeah, we, we appreciate our listeners. Like, we, I can't tell you enough. Like, just the fact that you guys listen to us daily or subscribe to our podcast, like, that alone I'm so appreciative of. But a guy like Mark took time out of his day to drop this off here at the studio. And it's really cool, right? It's the Sports Illustrated Arizona 90, 1997 National Championship magazine. So, it's cool, man. Thank you once again, Mark. And speaking of Arizona basketball, uh, let's talk about the game that happened last night against the Cal Golden Bears. Uh, Arizona got out to a nice little 11-1 to lead. Uh, the pick-and-roll action that they had with Umar Balo that sent the, the game into the first media timeout break, it, it was just so unfair to see how just better Arizona is compared to the Cal Golden Bears. I mean, they're they're already injured. Like, Devin Askew is out for the year with that hernia injury, and it feels like essentially their entire team got hurt on one play last night in the second half when there was like a fast-break layup and a few guys got hobbled and left the court uh, limping. But Cal's injured. Cal's also an inferior team, and Arizona just got out to – a very dominant lead, and they led, I think, 11-1 to going into the first timeout break. Uh, but after that, Cal kind of hung around. They were doing whatever they could to, you know, keep within, you know, 15 points or so, 
and they went on on an 8-0 run to end the first half, and Arizona only trailed by 12, or only led by 12. Arizona should have been up by like 25 points, 26 points at halftime. It should have been another game similarly to the Oregon State game at McHale Center on Saturday. That should have been a game where you had guys like Adama Ball and Philip Borovichinen and Henry Vasar, all these young guys who don't really get playing time, have them getting some good reps during the first half, like we saw against Oregon State. But that wasn't the case. Cal did a pretty good job of staying within striking distance, but Arizona, it seemed to me like they were just bored last night. And we've seen that in a handful of games this season where they're playing against teams that they should absolutely mollywop. That's the word of the day for you guys, mollywop. Just destroying a team, and the other team is staying, like I said, within striking distance. Cal is a 3-20 and team going into that game. There should have been no reason why it was that close for so long. Like, Cal had it within 11 points at some point in the second half, and then the Wildcats were able to put on the gassers and just smother the Golden Bears in that game, and they ended up winning 85-62. to But it was a not the greatest performance by Arizona. I think Cal is just a really bad team, and that's why they won by 23 points. And the fact that should show you how much – better this team is now than a month ago or two months ago. You know, this, we were talking about Arizona as like, ah man, I don't know. Are they are they really that tough? Do do, do they have it? Oh, do, I mean seven guys, can they really roll with that? I'm I'm not really so sure. They seem very wishy washy. Yeah, they'll look good one game, then they'll look bad the next. Ever since that loss to Oregon on the road. Remember the week prior they lost to Washington State at home. That was the first ever loss under Tommy Lloyd at McHale Center. So they had that loss, and then they followed it up with a L on the road against the Oregon Ducks. And then it was like, okay, we got to we gotta fix some things. We got to see if we can shift some things around and make things right. Let's see what we can do here. And Tommy Lloyd decided, I'm going to shake up the starting lineup. I'm going to put Cedric Henderson in. And Cedric Henderson had a great game last night, 11 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, and just 1 turnover in 29 minutes. And I'm also going to put Pell Larson coming off the bench, the defending Pac-12 sixth man of the year. How can he handle this readjustment? It's not a demotion. You're just adjusting his role a little bit. He's still going to be playing similar minutes, but he's not going to be in the starting lineup. Well, ever since Pell Larson has been coming off the bench, the Wildcats are 7-0. And last night, Pella Larson had 16 points, was 6-for-7 from the field, and he also had two assists and no turnovers in 23 minutes. I thought Pella Larson was fantastic last night, was very aggressive getting to the rim, and he also was knocking down that three ball. He was 3-for-3 three three from three-point range. So Pella Larson uh, played some good ball, and Arizona right now is a completely different team than when they lost to Oregon. And yes, they tightened up the rotation, and they're still finding that, that eighth man, which I think can be Adama Ball, because he was the really the first guy to check in outside of their uh, seven-man rotation. Um, in, in Arizona, they're just they're rocking and rolling right now. But, again, I think that there was a lot of points in that game last night where they just fell asleep. And they allowed Cal to put together some runs and kind of stay within the game, 
Arizona should have won that game by 30-plus points. But they won by 23, and now they move on to the next one. They play against a better Stanford team. Cal's worse than Stanford, but Stanford is still in the bottom half of the Pac-12. How can you go out and how can you dominate? And I think that Umar Balo is going to have a dominant game for Arizona against Stanford. Remember, Umar Balo had a breakout game against the Cardinal last year, and that was kind of the coming-out party for Umar Balo. Last night, he had a near double-double, 14 points and 9 rebounds. I guarantee you, on Saturday, Umar Balo is going to have an absolutely dandy of a game. And it's going to be kind of good timing because it's coming off a, a day in which Umar Balo was named to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar award watch list, given to the nation's top center in college basketball. So he's feeling good about himself, going to come out and have a dominant performance against Stanford. I'm calling it. Uh, Kirk Riso last night, after getting into a little Twitter back and forth with me about Chris Paul, which was fun banter. you got to go back and, and check it out. Go, You can go to Kirk Riso's Twitter account and find it for yourself. Uh, Kirk Riso and I, I, I cover the dude, got respect for him, but it was uh, we got to agree to disagree on Chris Paul because I call Chris Paul a choke artist in the playoffs, and Kirk Kreese came to Chris Paul's defense, but I digress. Uh, Kirk Kreese, uh he's battling with a little bit of an illness, got sick again, and even though he was sick, he still played last night, had zero points, was zero for seven from the field. Ofer, disgusting shooting numbers from Kirk Kreese, but... If you're putting up eight assists and two rebounds and just one turnover, hey, man, you're playing the role of the, of the point guard. And the, some of the passes that Kirk Creasa was making last night, it was uh, it was pretty terrific. If you want to call in and discuss Arizona Wildcats basketball, 719-1490 is that phone number. 719-1490. Stay tuned. More Spears and Ali coming up next. Spears and Ali here on ESPN Tucson. And we invite you to the 98th annual Parada de los Vaqueros the Tucson Rodeo Parade on Thursday, February 23rd at 9 a.m. The parade kicks off at Ajo and Park. And uh, if you want to see all the information on that end, you can go to ESPNTucson.com. Also, don't forget to uh, text ESPN Tucson to 959-38 to join our ESPN Tucson mobile club. You'll get updates from us about contests, alerts you need to know about, deals and events, and, of course, message and data rates may apply. All right, we got a few minutes left here of Spears and Ali. We'll be getting y'all out there to Indianapolis leading up to the Phoenix Suns matchup against the Indiana Pacers. Got the Suns just after acquiring Kevin Durant. Um, obviously, he's not playing tonight for the Suns. Uh, but the Suns are taking on the Pacers, who are led by Benedict Matherin off the bench, their number 6 overall pick, former Arizona Wildcat. And it got me thinking, with Russell Westbrook being traded from the Lakers to the Jazz, and Russell Westbrook seemed to be in the driver's seat to win sixth man of the year, does this mean now that former Arizona Wildcat Benedict Matherin is in the driver's seat to win sixth man of the year? I personally think so, and I also think he's going to win rookie of the year too, which is a pretty great first season for Benedict Matherin. But uh, let's get to the phone lines right now, 719-1490. Tony is calling in. Tony, thank you for your patience. What's on your mind today? Well, thank you for taking my call. and They do call me doctor because of my patience, but um, I want to start <laughs> off by saying, that uh, the trade with the uh, uh, Nets was fabulous. Uh, I love it as a fan. I want to say it is totally fat, rich with potential. 
And there was another F word I wanted to use, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, uh, the F bomb. It was uh, I'm just gonna leave. It. Oh, I'm glad the owner came in not farting around. Ah, yes. Yeah, and I don't really understand like uh, James Jones. If he gets all the credit for this, because I know the owner signs the checks, obviously that's the layman's understanding. But what, tell me what you guys think. Does James Jones? How much credit does he deserve? Because it looks like he started this process. He knew that it was going to take a long time. There were some variables thrown in there. Jay Crowder sat out. Uh, CP3's feelings seemed like they were getting hurt because there was some talk that he could have been traded with a Kyrie deal. I mean, there was, it was complicated, and it was exciting. Uh, that's not an F word, but it's exciting, fascinating. There you go. There it is. Uh, anyway, so just want to know what you guys think about who gets the bulk of the credit for this. Here's another F word. It's fabulous, too. Uh, but I think that the – Fabuloso. Fabuloso. That's what I used to clean my house. Um, I, I think that uh, James Jones has to get a lot of credit um, – but I also think that Robert Sarver also has to get some credit because he's no longer the owner, Tony. You you, you find it funny that the day of the introductory press conference of the new owner with Matt Ishbia, the day of the press conference, later on that night, you get reports of them acquiring a big-time superstar like a Kevin Durant. And it gets me thinking, Tony, how much has Robert Sarver held back this franchise over the last several years? Because on day one of the new owner, you get Kevin Durant. So I think you got to give Robert Sarver some of the credit there. Yeah, I, when you say that, it makes me want to drop the F-bomb, but I'm not going to only because I have discipline. But let me tell you, Sarver gets no credit. He's the biggest ache that I've ever seen as an owner. I'm so thankful that uh, he's out of the picture. Uh, he belongs in Washington with one of those crazy people yelling at the president. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Uh, Tony, always appreciate you. Have fun watching uh, NBA this weekend. I'm very excited for the Phoenix Suns getting Kevin Durant. And uh, also have fun watching Super Bowl 57, my guy. Yes, and I- I'm sorry about your Lakers. Uh, well, you know, maybe next year. But uh, don't stop! <laughs> don't sleep on the Lakers. D'Angelo Russell, you got Mo Bamba. Lakers might be doing some things. But, Tony, appreciate you. Th- have a good weekend, my friend. We'll see you next time. Yeah, I mean, Tony, he's got a point. The Suns are really good. I know the Lakers may not be as attractive compared to the Suns roster, but LeBron James playing at this level. Let's see if Anthony Davis can get back into being AD because it seemed like he got his feelings hurt during the LeBron James Kareem Abdul-Jabbar game. I'm not really sure what was going on there, but LeBron, AD, D'Angelo Russell, Mobamba, a little excited about what the Lakers have going on here, but the Phoenix Suns. Great core. KD, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul. Who gives a hoot about who's that fifth starter? That is a great core. And if you can sign a bunch of guys in the buyout market, some savvy veterans that can build up your depth, look out for the Phoenix Suns. Or you can listen to them coming up next here on ESPN Tucson because they're taking on the Indiana Pacers and Benedict Matherin. And, oh, by the way, nobody asked, fly, Eagles, fly. Enjoy Super Bowl 57. We'll see you on Monday.